Today's episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Arena Australia. Arena are the very best swimming brand in the business, whether you're after the best race suits, racing training goggles, training aids, or even team gear for your clubs. Arena Australia are the way to go. If you don't believe me, just look up on the blocks at the finals of most events at either nationals or international events, and you'll see the Arena logo front and centre on the fastest swimmers' race suits. They just are the best. Head over to arenaswimming.com.au right now for all the latest sales and discounts, and let them know that Off the Block Swimming Podcast sent you. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one-hundreds in the second in it. Gary Hall, Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Noosen's hand. But the sinister of all eyes is the great Madame Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he's sure he can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps is Mullins. I cannot believe he's done that. Joining me today on the show is the high-performance coach at the Newcastle University Swimming. Uh, he's a human movement expert as well as swimming scientist. He's coached in the Netherlands. He's coached in Germany. Uh, he also coached up at the Cairns Stingrays. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce to Off the Block Swimming Podcast for the very first time, Mr. Sander Godzevles. <laughs> yeah, you almost got it right. Almost, almost. <laughs> so for, for the listeners, we, we had a bit of a joke about I hadn't actually said his last name. I don't think ever since we've known each other. And I thought I'm going to throw it out for the first time on the podcast. Because you know what? Why not? Why not just throw it out there and see? How, how is it pronounced in your mind? It's uh, Sander Gansvles. That's nowhere near what I said, but thank you for that. It's all right, mate. Appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate the effort. <laughs> oh, I just put my uh, Aussie Bogan slang on it, that's all. Uh, mate, how are you going anyway? How you been? Yeah, pretty good. It's um, an interesting time in Newcastle. We had a, a bit of an unfortunate event with the ceiling at the Forum, but that's all being repaired, and we should be uh, ready to go back in our normal pool in uh, about two to three weeks from now. Um, but right now, I'm uh, very happy that I can uh, make use of the hospitality of Ben Jenkinson at the Toronto pool, mm-hmm. which is awesome. He's a great guy, awesome awesome colleague, or oh, general great guy, actually, Ben, and uh, very, very happy that we can train there. So doing well. Yeah. Oh, no, nice. I mean, I was going to ask, and we're going to get to it later about um, the the gig there and how that came about and your decision to come down from Cairns. Um, but just in general, obviously, for anyone who'd be listening and, and wondering how these sort of performance hubs work, I'm assuming you work closely with a lot of the clubs and coaches up in Newcastle in the Hunter area in terms of if people want to pick your brain, get feedback, come talk to you. If I, I'm not sure. I mean, you can uh, extrapolate a bit more on how the swimmers, if they get to come to the pool and, and jump in with a, for a couple of sessions. But I'm assuming it's not, I mean, you're, you're aligned with Newcastle University University, as I said, but outside of that, I'm assuming you're sort of more broadly aligned with all of the clubs and, and coaches up there. Yeah, that's that's uh, the general idea. Um, of course, this program just started in October, last October. 
So we're still very, very, very early and we're setting things up. We'll take a bit of time, which is normal. You've got to build the relationships, build the connections with people. Um, gradually moving into that role, uh, we got some, indeed, some, well, we've got a core group of guys training with me full time. They're all um, 18 and over, so they finished their HSC or their, their high school. And then I got a couple of uh, swimmers coming in from different clubs who, uh, who come in for a couple of sessions. And those are the kids who are showing a bit more promise or who uh, uh, need a little bit more. And that's always in agreement with the coach. So uh, got kid, a girl in from Nelson Bay and from Newcastle, that's some in from Maitland. Um, and that's all... Uh, after discussion with the coach and they come in and do a couple sessions per week, usually with me or with our, with my squad. Well, mate, you're very lucky. And I've said this to you because I love Newcastle. I love the Newcastle area. I go for the Newcastle nights. My wife just won't let us live up there. She's, she's not, ah. she likes the area too. She just doesn't want to live there, but yeah. Um, yeah, the great people and always, um, you know, sort of soul to the earth type work, uh, hardworking, um, blue collar type, um, and, and they're all great people. So I'm assuming, mate, especially with your charm, you'll be able to work with them all and they'll start to, <laughs> they'll start to work together. But there's a lot of talent up there, which I'm assuming, you know, it would pique your interest in terms of that opportunity because, you know, we've seen some great swimmers come out of all the different clubs, whether it's Novocastrians, NU, yeah. Hunter. Um, there, there's lots of different uh, programs that are working brilliantly. So that must have been sort of exciting for you. Uh, when yeah. you're looking at it, I think um, Newcastle is a is a city with a lot of opportunity, and and not just Newcastle. We got we got Macquarie Lake Macquarie City and, and Maitland as well, and a bit f- further up north up the coast. Um, now the the north coast area with Taree and Foster and Port Macquarie. Um, I think there's a, a lot of talent around here. That's correct. Um, combined with uh, a real good university, actually, that um, gives an opportunity that you don't have in many other cities, I think, in Australia. Uh, Newcastle is not that big. Um, Still over half a million people. I think it's the seventh city in Australia. But we have um, good infrastructure, as in traveling times are not that big as they are, for example, in Sydney. So I think that area is very promising there's a lot of opportunity here to uh, to establish a good program and yes the clubs are very strong you do see uh, from the clubs you mentioned novo gastrian hunter uh, new swim and there's a couple of bit smaller clubs like charleston she's doing karen over there is doing a great job um and you see that these kids um, are doing very well to a certain level and then uh, i think my problem program is there to offer them that opportunity to uh, keep on swimming and keep on swimming in the region when they uh, have finished their high school. Yeah, well, it's exciting. I'm excited to see, obviously, as you said, it's kind of as infantry stages. So it's going to um, progress. It's going to get bigger. It's going to get stronger. Um, and I'm excited to see, you know, how, how all of that plays out and, and the talent that we see progress, hopefully onto some junior Australian teams and all that sort of stuff. That's how it's all been sort of set up. Um, and as you said, you're sort of getting the right backing behind you and the right setup, which is perfect. Um, 
and yeah, absolutely, Newcastle. It's all it's almost like a small town feel, but it's a it's a city, right? Like it's a big city, but yeah, it's, it's a big. small town yeah, feel. Yeah. It's big. Well, right now driving to Toronto takes us half an hour, which is still pretty decent. Um, but yeah, there's a it's quite a lot of people living here, and it 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 does feel like a bit of a town. But you got everything here, so that's that's the nice part. I I love that we're now we have the, the nice beaches, we have. Uh, a, a good center um yeah it's awesome i like living in it I, I i try to go to the beach no i i go to the beach with my squad every week yeah. at the moment so uh, yeah enjoying that part as well yeah no i could imagine um now we, we yeah we've got a lot of things to cover on today's podcast with you man i've got lots of questions to go through your career <laughs> even touching on your you know your swimming and how that started and your love of the water and all that sort of stuff and I've got, yeah, as I said to you before we started, I've got notes for days here. But while it's fresh in our brains, I want to talk about the world champs that's just finished uh, in in Fukuoka a couple of weeks ago. Um, obviously, for an Australian, from Australian perspective, it, it was fantastic. Um, top of the medal tally, depending on how you want to look at the medal tally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but phenomenal success. Um, also just interesting racing, I thought, across the board, even if you you know, were just a, um, a lover of swimming and you sort of took your Australian cap off for a second. From your perspective, I know obviously um, with your background, you know, in sports science and all that sort of stuff as well and physiology and but you know lots in terms of you know me and you don't really match wits in terms of that i just sort of sit and listen to you when you're talking <laughs> rather than uh, offer up any of my own opinion so that's why i was interested from your perspective did you you know a did how much did you enjoy the world champs and then b did you pick up anything from that week uh that you could see any trends anything looking ahead um that may be shifting or changing in terms of race strategies plans etc yeah, I think um, it, it was awesome to watch. And there were so many beautiful races, uh, indeed Australian-wide, but also uh, globally. I really loved that 800 and 1500 meters showdowns after 1500 meters being that close together and those guys hitting it. That was so amazing to watch. Uh, all of my respect to that. Uh, he's from T Tunisia, isn't he? Yes, Hafnawi. Yeah. Um, I think um, in the light of a lot of other people, I think that, that his performance has got a bit on the background compared yeah. to other people. Yeah. But I really liked him. He was so consistent in those like in those longer distances. And when I when I look at it, you saw uh, you could see really see that with Sam Short. There is that change in rhythm in the longer distances. I think um, where they just. They are so good at keeping the pace and also relatively nice stroke rate. I mean, you just see those times generally dropping. Um, yeah, of course, the Chinese with their uh, their breaststroker. It's a phenomenon. Yeah. It, 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 the way that he raced it, that, I think that's what we should look at and, uh, and learn from. We know now um, that you can do everything. That's something that... <laughs> I think yeah. we should start learning. Yeah, for me, that was really the biggest, uh, biggest thing that I took away from it. We have guys winning the fifty, hundred, and two hundred. We have Kaylee, of course, doing that in backstroke. Yeah, in a magnificent way after not an easy start with a yeah interesting two hundred <laughs> at AIM stuff. Yeah, um, but also with the with the Chinese 
breaststroke, uh, yeah, the way that he swam those races was, of course, magnificent at a different level. So it was great to watch, awesome to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to have, you know, Zach Stubbley to cook, and I've got him coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks, obviously, you know, in the light of day now. Now that he's had time to kind of sort of digest what happened and, and maybe take a breath because no doubt he probably wouldn't have been too excited having Chin Hyun, um flexing in front of him on top of the lane rope after his world record. That's not going to be a great feeling to have, no, uh, but you know. I think, I think um, what, I, what I've seen so far, what we've seen from so far from Zach is, is out of this world. Yeah, he is a phenomenal swimmer as well, and he's also, and that's that, that's what I like to do at, at every meet that I go to at nationals or international meets. You watch what other people are doing, and I think uh, Zach is one of those people who is uh, very professional and really knows what he's doing. So mm. I'm sure that Vince and Zach will come with a plan and attack these. Yeah. This guy and um, yeah, be a challenge. But hey, we are all in this sport for the challenges, I reckon. So yeah, yeah, let's go. No, hundred percent. I mean, he didn't even swim slow. He swam pretty much on his best time, Zach. It's just it was a world yeah. record that beat him. So, exactly. and you could see after it, it wasn't so much. There was probably a bit of disappointment, but it was also I think he was thinking of right, all right, game on. Now I'm going to have to be able to go out a little bit harder. I, Correct, because you know, his back end was still there, right? He was still catching him a bit at yeah. the end. It's not as if. Uh, Chin was pulling away, but he'd just gone out far enough that he was never going to get caught. Exactly. He, was, he was far no, I mean, too good. You saw that in, in Zach's interview. He was, he, he, I think he already in that interview, he was like, all right, game on. Yeah. Uh, I'm ready to take this challenge and, yeah, go into yeah. the ring next year. Yeah, well, I, I'm also interested, mate, obviously, in terms of the 100, the 200 events, we saw a lot of people – I mean, breaststroke was excluded, obviously, with Chin, who just dominated, got out, and, yeah. and away he went. Um, same with same with Ruda in the breaststroke as well. Um, but in, in a lot of the other events, it was sort of back-end dominated in terms of the finish and, and whether it was Molly or Kyle or, or um, you know, whoever it might have been, just getting their hand on the wall. But it, it wasn't as convincing in my opinion is is normal in terms of that back end strategy's been um playing out for a while now and being very successful but uh, f for my and Shannon uh Rollison has a few theories in terms of the outside lanes in drop in pools that maybe get a little bit of extra uh yeah. help but we did see a lot of lane 1 or lane 8 who were out with early speed yeah uh, and getting out fast they we're taking a little bit more to catch and, and break down than, than normal. Did you notice any of that? Uh, and do you see a shift? I mean, we're a year away from Paris. Is that going to be something that, you know, these back-end swimmers are going to have to be looking at as well? Because obviously it looks like there's been a, a bit of a shift in the front end there. In, in the end, this is a, is, a, is a discussion that could go on for days. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that there is one general pattern that, that yep. applies to everyone. We have people who are a bit more from the front end and people who are more from the back end. What I do see, that's also why, why rec records are continuing to be broken. It's, I think globally we're getting better at finding the individual plan for everyone. And people are getting better at, 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 realizing that plan 
and realizing that plan all the time. So if there's anything that I see, um, yes, you'll always have the people who are going more for the back end. And and to be fair, when we look at how Molly was racing, I think she dominated those races. Mm. So, well, we can say maybe less of the back end, but when we looked at Molly swimming those races, she dominated it. Yeah, you know, coming from the turn. I think uh, one of the things that I noticed in in those races was ex- especially that people who won those races came out of that last turn really, really strong. And um, I think even in the longer distance events, it was very clear with, uh, oh, come on, trying to think think what race it was. Um, I think it was the 400 or it might have been the 800. Yeah, Mills, where Sam was next to Hafnoe, I think. Yep. And had to catch up with it, haven't we, after every turn. Mm. And um, I think at all levels, in all races, we need to make sure that you're going to do that last turn. And that's, yes, that is a pacing effect. It's also a training effect, I reckon. Um, If you are able to come off that wall with a lot of speed, like Molly did, um, you're going to catch everyone. Yeah. Well, I mean... Talk about catching something um, when you say skills. Um, Leon Marchand's catching the, you know, going away from the world record in that 400 medley. Yeah. I mean, his last turn, I've said it before, so people if that listen are going to be sick of hearing me say it, but I just can't help it because I was so impressed. He was on the 15-metre line off the last turn. Yeah. That's so impressive. That's so many days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months of of getting that right under fatigue, under pressure, under yeah, Bob probably exactly. standing there going, no, that wasn't enough. We're going again. We're going again. And, um, and that was such an impressive race. So, yeah, what you just said, you know, there wasn't anyone racing him except that line. And I don't even think he was racing the line in the end. He was, nah, he was away he was from smashing it. the line. Yeah. But that's the, that's the thing. He, he was a clear example of, of how important those turns have come. And getting those turns really well. I think Molly and him uh, might have been the biggest standouts of that meet. But where they most stand out, I think, was in the in the in the work on the turn itself and the, the work after the turn on the water work. And yeah, that should be an example, and that should be a focus point, I reckon, for everyone to work on those on the waters and, and dedicate a lot of time sacrifice maybe some meters but work on 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 the underwater work Mm, yeah we'll we'll get to that a little bit later too just some of your sets and stuff and i've been fortunate (laughs) enough to hear you um, do some talks and talk about different sets and skills and all that sort of stuff and speed incorporating speed and skills and anyway we'll we'll get to it after uh, but yeah no you, you hit the nail on the head i'm excited um i think france um are doing a good job in getting their team ready for paris next year they're just <laughs> yeah, quietly under the right under the radar i think other than obviously leon marchand but i think there's a few yeah. other swimmers in there that is flying under the radar yeah maxime Pousset. but you know who the guy is who is working in france right now so yeah 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 um you, did you, hey he's a good guy yeah yeah um mate let's go back I, I always like to start off like this and go back where did swimming start for you obviously you're a coach but um 
whether people know or don't know, you know, you had a, a pretty good swimming career yourself. Um, backstroker, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, correct. There you go. So, I, mean, I do my research. You, do, did you didn't research. even, you wouldn't have thought well, no. I knew that, did you? You wouldn't have thought I knew that. Uh, I think when you, when you, when you use Google, I'd still, no, no, it's, I don't fashion. know what you're talking about. I don't know what <laughs> you're talking about, but no, yeah. you, you had a swimming career obviously, and, and a yeah. very good one yourself. How did swimming start for you in the Netherlands? So how far do you want to go back to the very first start? Yeah. Where did it start? How did you get involved? Well, I lived in a, on a street in a, in a little town at the time called Boningen. And uh, I lived on the street that's called the Houtduiflaan. Um, my mum uh, lived there until uh, last year, after, until she died. Um, and we lived across from the swimming pool. And um, I don't remember this, but my mum told, told this story over and over again. The first time she took me to uh, swimming lessons, I was four. Um, our road was pretty busy and basically right in front of the, the swimming pool. I managed to pull away from the grasp of my mum and <laughs> ran a, ran home. So uh, my, my first <laughs> lesson was not very successful. No. Um, but really swimming started with, um, with my brother. Uh, my brother, Gijs. I tried pronouncing that. Be... <laughs> I'll leave it up to you, mate. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds better Guys, coming out from you. <laughs> um, we swam at a, at a well, he swam at a, at a small club in uh, the biggest city in my area. It's called Nijmegen. Nijmegen has produced quite a couple of good swimmers as well. Uh, one of them was actually at the World Championships right now, Niels Kostanje, mm -hmm. great swimmer. Um, so my brother was going all right, training at three four times a week, an hour per week, and he made nationals. Um, I was still playing soccer and not interested in swimming, swimming. And we went to nationals, and I remember where it was. It was in the old pool in the city called Dordrecht. And um, there was this other guy born in 1978, and uh, he turned out to be a pretty phenomenal swimmer. Um, and uh, my brother got second behind him i think he got second on the 100 and the 200 free um and uh, the guy where my where my brother lost to was peter van den hoofdband mm -hmm. uh, as most australians should know yes um, we just say it a bit differently but yeah no. yeah hoogie <laughs> um pretty good swimmer yeah awesome very. guy as well but a yeah. uh, real good swimmer my brother got second but he got medals and i just remember thinking to myself wow that's cool i want to have medals as well and I started going to the swimming pool. Um, my brother was really, really good at the time. He got to European Youth Olympic Games, where it was. He swam a four by 100 freestyle relay with Peter. Uh, they got first. And then basically they said, uh, the, the, the Dutch Federation said to my brother, maybe you should consider going over to a different club. Um, I was still doing a little bit of uh, free time swimming, not very, very, very not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my brother went to a, a club in a city called Barneveld. Yeah, it's all Dutch cities, mate. Sorry for all the pronunciation. Hey, it's all right. I like hearing it. I just can't say it. <laughs> no, that's all right. Barneveld. And the, the, the club was called the Waterkip, which roughly uh, translates to the water chicken. 
Um, it's a it's a city of chickens over there. Um, what is a water chicken? Are they, are they good at swimming? Water chickens? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but the the whole town is based on chicken. They they farm chicken. They sell chicken. They sell eggs. That's where they're well known for. I love chicken. Um, so I think they they named the club like that as well. Uh, which at the time was uh, the second or the first club in the Netherlands. Depends again on how you <laughs> focus on it. <laughs> um, and um, my brother got in the top squad and the coach looked, well, my, my parents asked, could Sondo join in? And he basically looked at me and said, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this guy was Andre Katz. He uh, is now the... the uh, director of the Dutch Olympic Committee. Um, anyway, he looked at me and I think uh, in his good graces, he said, all right, you, you guys need to travel a little bit. So, all right, let this fella jump in. And I jumped in, it was way behind everyone. But they had this five-lane, 25-meter pool. With, at, the time, at, a, at a certain point, there were 60, 65 kids in there at the same time, mm-hmm. five lanes. And... You had like lane one was for the slow people, like me, and then lane five was for the fastest people. We gradually moved up, and uh, basically I started moving up. So I went, I went from not even making um, like uh, the, the regional championships, yeah, to making slowly making the provincials and then the nationals, and gradually worked my way up. And, and at the age of fourteen, no, sorry. Age of thirteen, I started winning some medals at nationals, um, and then yeah, basically took off. So was it? Would you say it was the medals that got you? Because you said at the beginning, like you were playing soccer, you weren't really fussed on it. What what made you start to enjoy it more? What made you think, no, I want to devote a bit more time in here and energy and and really get yeah. stuck in? So th- that I went into the pool at all was. Purely based on the medals. Mm. But um, after I, we got into that club, that's when I started taking swimming a bit more seriously. Yeah. Um, and it was not anymore the medals. It For me, it was not the winning. But it was, I felt that I was in control. And my mind is, is a bit, is always calculating when I walk on the sidewalk, I watch the lines and trying to not step on the line a bit funky and weird in that sense. Yeah. Um, but I also noticed that if I do four laps of 20 seconds, I'll get to 120. And if I don't want to improve, I just need to do four laps of 19 seconds and I get to 116, etc., etc., etc. And I felt that feeling of being in control and swimming and swimming like you are smooth and on top of things, that's what really hooked me onto the sport and um, what made me want to feel better and better and better in the world. So the medals, yeah, they're nice, but at a certain point, I didn't really care anymore. I liked, I liked the social environment, being part of the club, and I liked that feeling of control and, and, and getting faster, but not just faster, also faster, but knowing that when I do this, that happens. When I do the turn like this, I do that. And when I train the turn like that, 
I can get faster again. Yeah. No, well, it's, <clears throat> pardon me. Oh, it's a good way of thinking of it too. I mean, it's you're in control of your own sort of destiny there, right? <laughs> so you, you obviously just looked in the mirror and thought, well, if it's going to work, it's it's on me here. So I, I need to start taking control of, of what I'm Correct. doing. I can make this better. I can make that better. It's funny you say about the footpaths and stuff like that too. There's a lot of people. It's not weird, mate. There's lots of people that do that. Oh, yeah. It's you I'm as well, isn't it? Well, I mean, I'm probably not as conscious of it as you are, but I, right. I, I don't remember. Yeah, I, yeah. I've got yeah. my own. I've got my own issues. Let's just say that. All right, yeah, I've enough. got my. I've got my own issues. Um, I, I've got in my research, my extensive research, um, that you're a junior uh, European medalist. Was that to, in terms of um, your the height of your swimming? What What was the height? What was the the moment where you sort of, if you look back, you say, yeah, that was. The highlight the the top of my swimming career my, my personal swimming career you know um at a certain point i won quite a lot at uh at, at junior nationals in the netherlands mm. and then the the, the automatic uh the, 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 how do you go your, your progression from there is indeed going to european juniors yeah my first european juniors were basically a fiasco that was 99 in Moscow, which didn't go well at all um, until I did 100 back in the, in the relay uh, on the last day. And I was so angry and pissed off that I lasted out, out a pretty good time. But yeah, I had a real good good year um, training under Mark Faber, who's current head coach of the Netherlands. Uh, coaches Arno Kaminga. Kaminga, that's pronounced. Um, and together working with Andre, Andre was at the time Andre Katz, so that's the director of the Dutch Olympic Committee. Um, and they were both at the time working pretty well together, and that that seemed like a real good combination for me. So in 2000, it went really well. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, winning a couple of medals at uh, European Juniors, uh, doing some Dutch national records, 100 and 200 back. That was a was a real, yeah, yeah, nice. Um, transitioning, how how did that come about? So getting out of the pool and getting stopwatches around your neck and and starting to get into coaching because obviously you you started up in the Netherlands with your coaching career, but I I you know this is what the podcast is about. I want to learn how did yeah. it come about? How for you know for for lots of people, everyone's different in their journeys to coaching. What what was your journey to coaching like? Oh, it's quite an extensive one. Do you want to hear the full story again? <laughs> Mate, you tell me whatever stories you want. So first off, coaching in the Netherlands is very different than coaching in Australia. Um, I think at the moment they'll have between 10 and 15 full-time paid coaches. And um, I think uh, all the almost all the Dutch coaches would be pretty jealous of the paycheck of an average club coach in Australia. Yeah. Um, but so what that means is that a lot of the coaches are volunteer. And that's basically what I did at when I was 18. I started a bit of coaching on the side, just an hour per week. But that was, you know, junior squad at uh, the Water Chicken. Mm. And I did uh, one hour per week uh, because I was living there in the city and I at the time, so I just joined in and helped out and did an hour of coaching. After that, I my swimming career turned a bit more professional, so I didn't coach really for a couple of years. 
Um, in 2004, I uh, just missed the Olympics, <laughs> slipped, slipped on the wall at the backstroke start mm-hmm. to my uh, uh, detriment. And uh, after that, I said, this is pretty much it. Started focusing on my uh, career as a, uh, my uni career. So I started doing my uni, human movement sciences. Never left swimming because I studied under too many professors who had and a good idea and a good knowledge of sh- swimming. So I basically stayed in the role. Yeah. Um, and then I finished my uh, my uni degree, and I could not find any job in human movement sciences we tried a phd project and we tried something else and applied everywhere and i ended up uh, working at a retail shop got very unhappy and then i thought i need to change career so i moved into I can imagine your brain would not go function very well in a retail shop no, after three months, I was completely. I could, I could just, no offense to people who yeah. work in retail out there, but just talking to Sat Sun, no. I know how your brain, you'd be thinking of different ways. Well, we can fix this and we can actually, we can do that more efficiently if we, and then people would be like, just get back over there and scan yes. those things through, yes. boy. With all the light bulbs in the right order. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. No, that was very, uh, very not uh, working well. So I, um, I, uh, my wife is from an island up in the north of, of the Netherlands. That island is called Tessel. Um, and we always dreamt of living there, you know. But you know, it's never going to happen. There's no place for human movement sciences on that on that island. But there was an IT company, <laughs> so I uh, I just uh, bluffed my way into IT, and um, I did two years of IT. Now here we go. Here we get back to the coaching part. Yeah. Um, on that island, there was one swimmer, one swimmer who swam competitively. So there's more swimmers, of course. Uh, they, there's a lot of ocean swimmers, even though I can't imagine why, because 14 degrees swimming in the ocean yeah, is not always fun. Doesn't sound appealing. <laughs> no, but we had one swimmer, and um, they heard via via they heard that I was on the island. Um, this swimmer was called Svere Eschweiler. Um, and he, they came in contact and then we started working a little bit together and that grew into a bit more. And he was, uh, backstroker, of course. And, um, we had a, uh, yeah, we had a very, very good working relationship there. Basically before I went to my IT company, we went to the local pool. And uh, we did uh, three hours per week, four hours per week sessions there. And then he went to the mainland for some other sessions. And I did all those dry land exercises. And, um, in that year, he made a, a five-second improvement, mm. which is very much he, he wanted to go. So it was an awesome guy to work with and a great guy to work with. And then from that island in our uh, 33 Oh, 33 degrees wave pool. So they had like a big L shape where you have like, they can create waves on one yeah. side. And, um, and it you're was doing some resistance degrees. training or something. Were you? Yeah. Well, we did, <laughs> we did fun stuff there. Yeah. Um, I came up with some fun stuff and, and crazy stuff, but basically they opened the pool for us 
because no one on that island was going to swim before eight o'clock in the morning. Come on. Are you yeah. crazy? Yeah. So we trained there, I think, from 6 to 7.30, three, four times a week. And we entered via the back entrance and all sorts of funky stuff. And, um, yeah, it was him training with me. I dove in the water every now and then. We just had a general good time. And, uh, uh, yeah, he was doing great. He made European juniors in 100 back. Uh, I think 57... 57, two or three in that year. It's pretty, pretty nice and yeah. decent, you know, from a crappy pool with nothing going. Um, and after that year, um, I sent him away to uh, what we call HB uh, High Performance Center in the Netherlands in Amsterdam. Um, and then where it continued on, <laughs> I mm. told you it was a long journey. No, no. So I coached him and then, um, I went to a couple of meets, nationals, and then all these people uh, started asking me, hey, Gansje, or hey, Goose, because that's the literal translation of my family name. Yeah. Um, hey, Goosey, uh, are you going? And um, would you, uh, uh, what are you doing here? I said, yeah, there's this one swimmer on my own. And I don't know exactly how they came to it, but on, in January 2010, I got a phone call first from a guy called Roald van der Vliet. And he is the uh, Innersport, well, that's not called Innersport anymore, but he's the manager of the Innersport la Laboratory in Eindhoven in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So that's a facility where they do lots of scientific uh, guidance and research and servicing of the elite swimmers. Um he asked me if I would like to come and work for them. Um, I had a chat with uh, him, and then I had another chat with Chaco Fahar. And basically, then I got into swimming. I did uh, science, more 100% science for about three years. But already during those three years, they were starting to ask me, uh, can you hold my stopwatch? Oh, when you're holding my stopwatch, you can also time this guy. Yeah. Um, and, um, I think after six months working with, uh, with the lab, I went on my first international meet to Portugal with a group of, of swimmers from the Netherlands and just gradually moved into coaching more and more. And yeah, and at a certain point, as you know, you get addicted and, uh, it, 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 <laughs> it's your whole life almost, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I, you know, I, I, I like the, I, the story of, of what you just sort of told because it just keeps evolving and it's not something that you probably uh, set out to do. It's just something that's sort of naturally come to you um, by the sounds of it in terms of just being there and, all right, I'll help, you know, on a Friday afternoon or whatever it might be. And then, you know, you're in this little um, town and you're like, all right, I'll, I'll help this swimmer. And it just seems like it's, uh, just come naturally to you, which for a lot of coaches, I think, and especially the top coaches, it's something that is a natural thing. Um, you, you know, you've gone on from there. You've coached in in Germany uh, as well at Heidelberg. How do you say it? You say it better. Heidelberg. Yeah, Heidelberg. that's a good pronunciation. Heidelberg. Thanks, yeah. Thank Beautiful you. city. Mate, yeah. PB for me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, and you've mentioned a lot of different coaches there, uh, you know, until you got to Australia, we'll say, because, you know, you're now having access to, to learning from lots of different coaches as well. 
Who would you say were coaches that influenced you the most and your coaching philosophies? I mean, you would have, you seem like somebody who would have well, probably still able to, you know, create your own. You've got your own set of values and philosophies, no doubt. Um, you're just a thinker like that. I can tell you would have, you know, constantly been, but there would have been coaches and, and people that influenced your style, your coaching philosophies. Who did you gravitate towards more? Who did, who did you watch and learn from and go, no, I feel like that's, that's my vibe. That's, I, I like learning from yeah. that area. Well, I was, I was lucky. Um, so I had two, two good coaches in my, my swimming career. Of course, something of that transfers into your later coaching routines, I reckon. Um, because I still think back on the on the sets that I did with Andre and, and Mark. Um, but later on, when I was working for the Dutch Federation, so that started in 2010, we had three real good coaches in uh in that group, and I think I took away a lot from them. Uh the first one, of course, would be Jaco Fahagen. Um, at that time he was more going already towards the technical director role. Mm. Um, but Chaco's way of working with uh, people is amazing. He, I've never seen anyone coach like that in a direct way. Um, and he is he has such a good feel for people and also putting people in the right spot. So not just the swimmer, but also his whole team around team. And um, that's what I liked at that time. In the Netherlands, we had a real good team around team where I was part of. Um, working with Chaco definitely helped me in forming that aspect. Um, the other one uh, who was a phenomenal swimmer himself, winning world championships medals and um, also uh, Olympic relay medal in the 4x200 was Marcel Wauda. Um, Marcel was the coach of Ferry. Uh, and of my uh, Ferry Vietnam, who won uh, Rio Olympic gold on the 10K, uh, but also Martin van der Weyden, who won uh, the first Olympic 10K medal, gold medal in 2008 in Beijing. Um, Marcel was, if, he's a great guy and, and it's an interesting guy as well to work with because he's meticulous in every aspect of what he does. So he was really well focused in, in was controlling every aspect. Sometimes maybe a bit too much. I don't know, but that's what I learned from him. Um, he he had he wanted to know everything and wanted to control everything. So um, that aspect from from for me was very interesting, and I worked great together with him. I think he's a great coach, and he's shown that with numerous medals. Uh, I think one of the best open water coaches that ever walked this earth. Mm. Um, and the final one, and that's the one who has had the most influence on me, actually, uh, is Martin Trainz. He worked uh, at uh, the Amsterdam High Performance Center. Um, he coached people like uh, Femke Heemskerk, uh, Inge Dekker, Sebastian Verschure, um, and lots more. Um, he... He's a human movement scientist as well. He's also a supervisor in my PhD project. Um, he is both uh, a good colleague, a mentor, and an awesome friend. And he definitely had the most influence on my coaching career. We sat for days and days in the office in Amsterdam. And then at his place, I, I 
when I was living on the island and working in Amsterdam, I used to travel back and yeah. forth. And at a certain point, I stayed with him uh, once or twice per week. And so, uh, of course, uh, completely sober, we had a lot of discussions about uh, about swimming. And, um, yeah, his mind is incredible. Um, he went after 2016, after Rio, he went to train in Denmark. Uh, he did that for two years, was really successful with vanilla. Um, but now he's in cycling, so that's pretty uh, pretty exciting as well. Uh, but he's a great guy. He had an amazing influence on my coaching philosophy in the way that I think about swimming. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. I, would, you know, I, I know for you, you think that was a long story. But for me, when we do the podcast, it's all about learning about the, the, the guest and where they've come from, how they got to this position, because everyone's going through their own journeys. And a lot of the time they're driving in their cars or they're going for a walk and listening and just little things that, you know, you say resonate with people. Um, so no, what you think is a long, is a long story. I, I enjoy in terms of your coaching philosophies and, and what you learned from your time, obviously swimming, coaching in the Netherlands and then Germany, but now you've been in Australia for how long now? Five years, four years, yeah. Has anything shifted a little bit? Have you have you have you picked up anything here that you've started to implement? I mean, you would be still sort of grounded, I guess, in in what you strongly believe. But obviously, over time, we start to add little bits and pieces, right? Well, what yeah. have you picked up in your time here in Australia? I mean, we're skipping a little bit ahead. There's still parts of the story to go, people. Don't worry. But I like That's to, right. I like to, you know, veer off a little bit. What have you picked up since you've been here? That you know, and and who who who's influenced you as more um, from a coaching perspective here? And it might be out of the sport as well. You might have picked yeah. stuff up out of swimming. No, well, so swimming is my sport. So basically, I, I follow swimming uh, a lot. Um, I think so coming from the Netherlands, I was very much uh, a coach scientist. And I think coming to Australia and, and working with some people in Australia, I've gone more from coaching scientists to working more in the art of coaching. Yep. Um, I think that's an important part as well. I, I like to think that I always was focused on, on people and communicating um but i think that has grown even more in australia so understanding where i came from basically from 1996 when i was a swimmer myself up to 2019 till i came to australia i was in a high performance club so i've never consciously been yeah. anywhere else than in a high performance club um Coming from Germany, uh, where I had guys qualifying for Olympics and doing all that sort of stuff, I went to a small club in Cairns, and that was an eye I think I learned a lot for that. So I can encourage a lot of people to do just that step. Um, and that made me rethink a lot. Um, where you were in, in, in the Netherlands, I was always busy with the relationship between stroke count and stroke rate lap time and heart rate and connecting all these things together and cameras everywhere and whatnot. Yeah. And then you come in Cairns and there is just a 50 meter pool. And at the time there were about 30 odd swimmers and uh, oh, some wanted to be there under 
did not want to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that made me rethink and and, and reanalyze my whole coaching philosophy. And, um, I was very lucky. It, it, this is in Queensland, so it, it, the Queensland system is just pretty good with um, a lot of coach support. Mm. And I was very lucky having a great mentor. So that would be the person who was second most important after Martin. Martin, uh, on my coaching career, that's Brent Best. Um, he come came in into Cairns three to four times a year. And he was always on, on speed dial, basically. And Brent has an incredible mind as well. And he took me through, he introduced me into Australian culture. And also the Cairns culture, because Cairns is, a bit different again than, than Australian culture, I, I, I must say. Um, and Brent really, really helped me analyze the soft side of coaching. And also oh, very simple things, you know, in the beginning, uh, I didn't really know how you would say things. And then Brent helped me in, in finding my terminology, telling people how to, how to do things, you know, yeah. when they first said, skip this, skip that, said, why are you skipping things? No, that means spin kick my end. So, yeah, Brand really helped that, and Brand helped me also. Uh, like I said, that, that, that more philosophical, esoterical side of the, of the coaching business uh, helped me discover that. So, uh, all, all my, a lot of gratitude for Brand Best. Yeah. Yeah, no, Brad, yeah, Brand is brilliant. Um, and I was fortunate enough in my time up in Queensland to have him uh, help me a lot through um, Albany Creek and working with Richard. Um, and I, I still remember, um, I think I've told this story before, but you'll appreciate this. He came in and helped once we did a camp just at the pool. I just I put together this three or four day, you know, I thought I was thought I was doing a great job, you know, and gotten people coming in and so he's come in. He said, "Yep, yeah, yeah, all right. What are we, what are we doing today?" And I said, "We're doing a bit of a speed set. You know, I've got this." He goes, "Yep, yep. Give me that. Let me see this." He said, uh, "Oh, I thought you said we were doing a speed set." I said, "Here we are." He said, "Well, what you just handed me is not a speed set." Yeah. And you know, to to your point, I guess back in when I was younger and I thought I knew everything, I I probably would have taken that offensively at first. But now, I was, uh, luckily up there, I was kind of like, "Well, all right." sweet show show me how how we rearrange this to make it and we did we just sat there and it was it was brilliant so um you know i i always um thank brant for a lot of the different sort of terminologies and things that i use today and and how we learn it and um brilliant mind uh so in queensland very fortunate to still have him i know he just went to the world champs with a yep. team of coaches well, to help over there so um brilliant and the other thing i really enjoy about your i guess story and your journey just there is I reckon a lot of coaches certainly here in Australia are almost sometimes the opposite in terms of they've probably got a lot of their coaching sort of skills down in terms of man management and all that sort of stuff. But we need to, and I'll put myself in that, learn more about swimming and science and, and how it all works and plays together. And it's not the everything, but it's a part of the puzzle. And I think sometimes we might not look at it or, or give it as much uh, mm -hmm. focus and credence as we should or maybe because and certainly from my perspective we're a bit insecure about 
Well, I'm not smart <laughs> enough to know that, right? I always yeah. think I'm not smart enough. I don't, I don't understand it. Stop talking your mumbo jumbo to me. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. I realized, well, hang on. No, you're just, you're being silly. You've got to, <laughs> you've got to learn this and we've got to get this right. So it's funny. You've, you were complete opposite. You were, you know, sort of really switched on with your, your X's and your O's and the sport, you know, to, to you, that's nothing where you're, that's why you're laughing. At you're like, <laughs> it's not that hard. What are you, what are you saying? It's so uh, hard for. Depends uh, on, depends on what you're looking at. But yeah, yeah, yeah I understand what you mean. Yeah. As soon as you start to, I just think, oh, here we go. So now I'm going to switch my brain on. But no, I like it because, yeah, it's almost, I think sometimes the opposite. I think there'd be a lot of coaches here who, um, as I said, are now trying to really dial into it. I think that's why, and just watching your talk, the other week, I think that's why people really try to dial into what you're, uh, what you were talking about, because I think for a lot of coaches here, uh, that sort of stuff is is really interesting. They're like, all right, I've got to get better at this. So I, you know, and, mm. and Sanders the man. So we're gonna we're gonna really learn from them. Um, so no, I, I I you know I love that journey, mate. What what made you want to go to Cairns? So I'm assuming did you go from Germany to Cairns? Yeah, correct. So, so um, you know, you're killing it at Germany. You're doing a good job. You're you're, you're traveling around. <laughs> you're, you're doing a good job over there. Yeah, life's going good. You're rocking and rolling, and then you go. Do you know what? Let's <laughs> let's go. Let's go to Cairns. Nothing yeah, wrong so- with Cairns, by the way. If, if we've got lots of listeners up there, and it's a nice, warm climate, it's a great place. I'm sure there's lots of animals up there that can that yeah, can get can you if you're not you. paying yeah. attention. Um, yeah. But a great place. But what what makes you think, yeah, let's do that? So Germany was interesting. Germany was a real challenge. Um, and we went there. After Rio, I basically said I would like to, to change things up. And my wife wanted to change things up as well. Mm. Um, and we said, all right, let's see what we can do fine we went to Germany um lived in an amazing house in, in a real tiny village with one entryway it's ridiculous but really nice um I, what I what I struggled with in Germany was um that a lot of things had to be the same so there was a lot determined by the federation as in all right we do this thing and everyone has to do this thing and then things change and Everyone has to do another thing. So I had a, a ridiculously talented freestyle sprinter there. He won European juniors, uh, just turned 17, or he might have even been still 16 at the time, and he did a 21-8. Um, and uh, that's his name is Archim Salim. Great guy, still in contact with him. But we basically, he came from uh, Russia at the time <laughs> to Germany, uh, trained with me, and he went from doing a 50 to 60K program a week. I looked at it and I thought, that's not what we should do. So basically, I turned that down to about, uh, and on average, we, we did about 20 to 25K a week, maybe. Yeah. But a lot of it was fast and then contrasted with slow swimming, controlled swimming. So. And that went dynamite. So he went, I think he did a more than a second PB in that year on a 50, and then they won European juniors. But, um, well, basically they said, you need to do more meters. <laughs> and I said, but I got this real fast guy. Why should I do more meters? And yeah. we, we couldn't find an agreement there. And at a certain point, I didn't want to 
continue on uh, in the German German system. Mm. There's a couple of other reasons, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, go yeah. on for hours. Germany's unlocked potential. Um, it's people doing a real good job. You can see that, for example, with the group from Bern Berghahn, or uh, there was a breaststroker right now, Lukas Matzerat, but it was not the country for me. Yeah. And uh, also not the country for my wife and kids. So we decided, all right, we would like to go somewhere else. Uh, now, a language that we can get to easier. Let's pick a country where they speak English. Yeah. And uh, then you decide on what you wanted to do. We had a look at the US, at Canada, at Ireland, England, Scotland, uh, New Zealand, uh, yep. everywhere. And just for the fun, we started finding spots or places, cities where we would might want to live. One in Canada, Ireland, one in uh, New Zealand. And we said, all right, you know, in Australia, Cairns would be really nice. Haven't been there, didn't know anything about it. But, you know, you have Great Barrier Reef, you got tropical rainforest, you got a good hot climate. So um, I said, yeah, but it's like five clubs in Cairns. There, there will never be a job opening there. And really, two weeks after, there was a job opening for the Cairns Stingrays. And I had a talk with the, with the, with the boss there, with the director, Paul, Jason Selosic. And um, it was clear that he wanted to progress the swimming club, and move it up. So I thought, all right, let's go. So yep. we went to Cairns. So away you went. What yeah. were you, um, and, and, you know, you admitted, obviously, that you're coming from more of a high-performance um, background for the majority of your coaching at, at this stage and until you sort of go back where you, you know, with starting with, with a uh, young fella on the island or, you know, that little town, but, you know, that's it's still developing. But now all of a sudden you've got a club. So you've got a committee. I'm assuming yeah. there's a committee there. I'm assuming yeah. there's, there's parents. There's yeah. all of a sudden there's just elements coming in that you're probably – not used to. I'm not saying you can't handle it, but you're not used to it. How did no. you go? How did you go with all of that, and then navigating that? Because um, you know, I know for a lot of coaches listening to this, a lot of the times that's <laughs> that's where the stress and uh, anxiousness comes from with coaching is all the outside distractions, right? It's not so much the meat and potatoes of the coaching; it's all the yeah. things that encompass it. How, how did you go with that new challenge? Um, yeah, challenge it was, and like I said, I learned a lot from it. Um, I think my main takeaway there for anyone who is listening and then for myself is that communication is, is a real big part of it and not just a bit of communication. You've really got to communicate. And what I did, um, Ken's in what the, I, I worked at a pool called Worry, uh, Worry Sports and Aquatic Center. And um, I lived at the pool as well, which is 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 a, it's a good thing, and it's also not always a good thing. Yeah. You're always there, but that's what I did. We were uh, me and my wife, because my wife is a coach as well. And she was uh, uh, very very important to to the success we had in in, in, in Maury. Um We were available, and we were always communicating and talking. So I had regular parent chats. I had a lot of chats with the with the president of the committee. I had a lot of chats with all the parents and um, kept on talking with them. So that communication is very important. You got to get everyone aboard. 
And that means you got to invest. And as soon as you do that and keep doing that, yes, you do create a precedent. So people start expecting that communication. Mm. But that communication is very important. And, and I think the other one is uh, I, I started working there in, in Germany. I was influenced by a, by a, a good friend of mine who is not a swim coach, but a, more of a, a lifestyle coach slash yoga teacher, kung fu instructor. <laughs> He's everything, Klaus Milke. Um, but it started getting me on this track towards more the soft side of coaching. And I think that's was really important in So communication, but also a certain positivity of finding what can be improved on a daily basis. And that sounds, I know everyone says that, but that's really where we were working on in Cairns is how can we make this process better? How can we get everything on, everyone on board and keep on talking to people about that? Mm. Um, yeah, that went well. That was very enjoyable period. Sounds like you went from being, I guess, a leader of an athlete or two athletes. I'm not sure how many athletes you had, you know, to, to look after in terms of your programs in, in Germany or Netherlands. But it sounds like you sort of went from a, a man manager in terms of I'm a leader of my athlete to I'm now a leader of, of the club and many personalities. And so yeah. it, it would have been that adjustment. But, you know, as you said, by the sounds of it, you – you know, you're up for the task. Um, you seem like you've got that sort of mindset, though, that um, not to blow smoke up your backside, but nothing really will ever <laughs> probably be too big of a challenge. Like it's a challenge and you'll sit there and you'll probably sit back and go, okay, all right, all right. This is, I've never been here before, but yeah. this is how we're going to manage it and, and approach it. Um, in Do you terms, know Pippi, uh, Pippi yeah. Long, Longstalking? Do you know that lady? Pippi I, Longstalking? I know yeah. of, yes. Swedish girl with with red hair and ponytails mm. out to the side. Yep. Um, she always says, uh, I've never done it, so I think I can. And um, that's very much what I, uh, I I listen to. It's a children's yeah. book, but it's a good book. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I like that. I like that. It's it's much more than, you know, it's much better than, oh, I'll see how I go, which has a little bit more of a, a negative connotation to it, where what you just said, old Pippi. Um, it's much more positive. So, um, for yourself there in, in Cairns, um, you know, watching that, that program progress and grow and for your own coaching and, and growth, what did you enjoy most about your time there? I think coming from the Netherlands and Germany was that I had more time with my wife and kids. So that was very important also in the reason to, to choose that club and that scenario. Um, in the lead up to Rio, I was away like physically away from the Netherlands, 30 weeks of that year. Mm. Um, and then two days per week, I wasn't at home either because of two nights a week, I was not at home either because of the work that I was doing. So Cairns really brought me back to being spending more time with my wife and kids who are uh, the most important thing in life anyway. Yeah. So that was what, uh, what I, I, really enjoyed in kids having more time with the wife and kids it was hard work you know we were i was on deck sometimes 50 hours a week and then still communicating and writing the plans and, and trying to get my my brain to go in my scientific explorations and um so it was hard working but 
it was also enjoyable in that sense that we were together and doing it together. Did you find that a challenge? And I'll circle back to the family question in a minute because I think that's it's really important. And I think these days more than more than ever because we're becoming more conscious of time management and balancing things. And whereas as maybe you know twenty thirty years ago, uh, it was it was probably a little bit more. Um, driven by the profession and, and being highly successful. And, and it was sort of a given that the family would just come along with that and just deal with whatever brought that. So we'll circle back to that. But I'm interested in terms of how did you go coaching in Cairns coming off the back of having, you know, the sports science, having people um, to bounce off in terms of, you know, your your brain is one that I don't want to make you out to be like a mad scientist, but your brain is one that, you know, needs to, you know, you, you like being asked an interesting question that makes you think about stuff. Right. And I I know in Cairns, there would have been people as well, but it's also a different job. You're also sort of there kind of on your own. Sometimes being a head coach can be a lonely place. How, How did you find that in terms of trying to keep your brain stimulated thinking about the sports science stuff when probably the more important stuff was, was the things that, you know, were away from that. Does that make sense? So it's stuff that has to be done, but it might not stimulate your brain as much as the stuff that you were doing. How did you balance, balance that? Um, that's a good question, but I think. what I do, mate. Foremost, what I do. Yeah. You, you, you ask those <laughs> questions. Um, there's, there's a couple of things to that question, I reckon. So the first thing is I, had to change my thinking, which is a challenge in itself. So that's yeah. a very, it's a it's a way of changing that mindset. And it's also, uh, there was a, a scientific challenge in how can I bring my model of a swimmer, my model of training. Mm. Sorry, that's not my philosophy, but I have a model of a swimmer. We can get to that. Yeah. <laughs> how can I transfer that model and work with that model, but instead of working in the like you said, with, with with ten swimmers, most like more or less, to working and doing that same thing and transferring that up to, in the end, we had one hundred and ten swimmers in there. Yeah. Um. So that was a, a a scaling question, but also a it's a mind question and a scientific question as well. And you have mm. to find your key values and the the ways that you can still work in the way that you want to work, but do that on a different level, different life or on a different scale. And yes. Uh, I find that really challenging, especially in the beginning. And well, the, 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 the final thing um, that is very important to me with, with that question, how did I keep my mind going is my, my wife is a children, uh, child, child development. Uh, she has a bachelor in child development yeah. and, uh, and uh, education and, she is a, is a, in my opinion, a magnificent thinker as, a, as well. And um, she was my co-coach in, in kids. And we sort of envisioned how this program should work. And we worked together in building that program. And um, that definitely kept my mind going. She keeps my mind going anyway because she asks difficult questions as well and yeah. um, keeps my two feet planted firmly on the earth. I can imagine I, I was fortunate enough to meet her down in Canberra and anytime you and I have had chats, whether it's just randomly seeing each other or on the phone or whatever, it always turns into a longer chat and we start going. And we st- I always call it playing verbal tennis. You know, I've got something and I hit it back to you. And um, 
I noticed I had the same thing going with her down in Canberra. I mean, we stood there, what was meant to be, oh, how's your day been? Turned into about a 10, 12 minute conversation where we realized, oh, we better break this up because we've got to move on with the evening. But yeah, I, yeah. it was the same thing with, with her. So I, I can imagine absolutely, you know, her challenging you because I yeah. could tell just from those conversation that she was switched on and, um, and, and had a great mind for it. And so now I'll circle back to the family question and, as I said to you, it's, I want to say it's a buzz thing these days, but in terms of it's more popular to think about it or talk about it now, I think it's just something that should have been sort of talked about for a while. And now we're probably just getting around to saying, Oh, Hey, we should have given this more attention. Work-life balance. You hear a lot of people say um, that it's a myth as well, that there really isn't a perfect work-life balance. It's a lot of just, um, you're juggling balls in the air and you're focusing on each one at one time. And um, for anyone who saw us at the New South Wales conference, they'll know that um, Cam did that whole um, experiment with with me yeah, and yeah, a few yeah. other coaches and made us look like fools up there. So thanks for that, Cam. Um, but it, it is, you know, it is, it is sort of like that. And then you have others who, who really do find the, the nice balance in it. I mean, um, you know, I look at, obviously again coming back to shannon the shannon rollison podcast and anyone that's listened to his journey in terms of his time in denmark or edinburgh you know family always came first so as soon as it wasn't really working for family then okay well we're, we're moving and we're heading back but you also see a lot of coaches these days that you know they're um behind the scenes you know relationships and things that don't work out whether that's related to coaching whether it's just personalities anyway I, I think sometimes we can try and tie everything back to coaching sometimes it could just be it just what you know people's relationships don't work a lot yeah. it's not just in coaching there's lots of different businesses and um so i think you know we can tie it back too much but there's definitely something in us being conscious of trying to keep the balance right and especially for thinkers like yourself, um, like me, I'm not thinking like you, but I've always got business stuff and things and podcast stuff. And there's a thousand things that I'm thinking of and texting people. And then you've got your daughter going, dad, do you want to come play with me? And, you know, I'm texting you back or trying to get Ariane to come on the podcast. And you're like, uh -huh. oh, what, you know, what have, I've got to pay attention to, to her as well. Yeah. Work like long, long question for, for your answer, but yeah. How do you find it? Is that something you've had to work on? Is that something that you're still working on? Or do you think if you and your wife have kind of struck, because she's a coach too, so she yeah. would have to find her own balance and she's a thinker. So there's, there's going to be times where she's got to kind of come back to being mum and, and family as well. Yes. Uh, do you think you've got it or do you think you guys are still working on it? What What's your sort of take on it? I, I've never, uh, with Franca, so with my wife, um, I've never had the feeling that I had to work for it. Yeah. So yes, we were in situations where we said, "All right, this is uh, sub-ideal, not what we want to do," and then basically we changed things. Um, we had that a bit in the Netherlands. We had that a bit in Germany. We also had that a bit in Cairns. Um, those situations were good for a, a period of time, um, but especially in the Netherlands, we noticed, "All right, we don't see enough of each other to." make it satisfying for both of us or fulfilling for both of us. Yeah. Um, and we made choices in life to 
get more towards that level. Financially, they were completely disastrous choices, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. as far as life goes, we are. Uh, I'm very happy with my wife, assuming she's still with me. So um, <laughs> I'm assuming she's happy with me as well. Yeah. Um, yes, we do talk a lot about swimming. So when we are home together, you know, that's fortunate. She is a swim coach and she used to swim as well. Um, she has been in high performance swimming as well herself. Um, so she does understand what is part of that work situation. She is, um, yeah, we, we do talk a lot about swimming, but we also make sure that we spend enough time doing other things, walking the dog, going to the beach. Usually we walk the dog close to the beach and then talk about swimming, but still, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we do spend a lot of that time together and make sure that we have that time for each other. Yeah. And what we know you've, you've got children, they're, they're swimming now as well. Yep. I mean, I can imagine there's a lot of swimming talk going on. Do you, uh, do you just sort of let it ride? And, and if you pick up that, okay, maybe we're a bit too swimming talking here or, or do you, is there a balance? Do you mm. look at it and go, ah, I need to be, you know, just dad in this moment and not and not coach, if that makes yeah, sense. So, and, so I'm not coaching my kids. Um, doesn't stop other parents, mate. Doesn't stop other parents. Coach. From, oh, <laughs> yeah, some, some parents do. <laughs> that's, what, well, that's what I mean. Like, do you ever, I mean, do you ever see or hear things and then go, oh, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know? So, or do you stop so, yourself and go, no, I'm, I'm dad, I'm just going to. No, I'm 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 with my kids. I I tend to work on being a dad. Mm. Work is not the right word, but try to focus. Not try. I don't like the word try. Yeah. I focus on being dad. I do every now and then ask. All right, do you want to have? Because when I see them struggling with something, but it's the same with the, if they are struggling in school. Uh, I ask them, can I can I help you with anything? Uh, do you want to have any of my feedback? Um, and if they say no, then I'm fine with that. Uh, yes, there are moments where I said, where I think to myself, "Oh, I would do this." Mm. On the other end, they are training with uh, with coaches who are are very, very knowledgeable and, and, and good at, as well. So I don't want to interfere into that process too much. Um, my son is actually swimming with my wife now, mainly. So he's he's getting. You better there. not interfere in that at all, then. I'm not interfering, <laughs> in that but. So it it is a, a I don't think again it's a it's a difficult situation but it's a situation you have to handle that in a certain way. Um, yeah, I'm very conscious of being more of a dad in that folk, mm. in that point. Yeah. yeah, I think that word you just mentioned um, for me is is something that helps. It's just being conscious of. So I don't think I ever get it right all the time. I think we I make a lot of errors but if i can be conscious of it and sort of catch myself and go ah all right that i think you know i'd spent too much time in this yeah. area i need to now devote so and then and then i do so i think yeah that word is is absolutely very necessary just being conscious of i don't think you know we shouldn't beat yeah. ourselves up because we're just trying to do the right thing right i'm trying to yeah. provide for my family slash also show my daughter that you can do what you love and, and make a living. You don't have yeah, to work at a exactly. factory and, yeah. and, and do the nine to five thing. You can do things you love, but with that comes time and, and all that sort of stuff. So we shouldn't beat ourselves up about it, but just being conscious. And I love that word you just used. Um, 
All right, let's let's rock and roll into something that I, I know you love talking about and you, you use a lot of it and, and I even spoke to you about it <clears throat> the other day for myself in terms of buying some stuff and it's technology and swimming. So yes. <clears throat> we're taking a bit of a deviation here, but um, I'm also time conscious um, and I, I know there's a few That's things right. I want to get through. So um, technology and swimming, you know, it's something that you've even, I, I don't know if you've had a hand in, in helping to, to work some, I mean, you can tell me about it in, in a second. For me, uh, for you, the question I guess is, um, how do you find using technology in swimming? Is there certain areas and ways that are better utilized than others in your opinion? Um, and then I guess we'll follow on in a minute anyway with what sort of um, equipment or, or technology you think is best to be using or just in your opinion or what you're doing. But just that question in general, technology in swimming, um, where, where is it better utilized do you think <laughs> where is it better utilized? Is you mean by the coach, by the swimmer, or what? It, what yes, mean, exactly? yeah, yeah, by the yeah, by the coaches. So for the coaches listening, when they're thinking about like I want to, you know, like for me, like I called you only because I yeah. know, I know you, you know, you're as I said, you've even I think helped develop things. So I know you're probably the one to go to. Slash, also I knew if you ever came to my program and I had something that you didn't think I should have, you'd probably go, mate, what? Why didn't you call me and tell me and tell me something? No, I better call yeah. him just to double check. From a coach who's yeah trying to be, I guess, a bit innovative and and the the programs developed and got to a point where okay, now we need to um, add some stuff in. Um, yeah, what what do you see? Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our great sponsors, DMC Fins. DMC Fins are the best training fins in the business. Just have a look around in everybody's kit bag on pool deck, and there's a pair of DMC Fins in there. Swimmers, surfers, they're all using DMC Fins as their choice of aquatic propulsion. Even superstar Cody Simpson is using DMC Fins to help with his training towards Paris 2024. Head over to dmcfins.com.au right now for all the latest deals and discounts on fins as well as hand paddles and other training aids and use the promotion code OFF THE BLOCKS for a 10% discount at checkout. Yeah, I, I, I like I like a bit of technology. That's correct. Um, it, it, I think the main thing that is important there is basically what do you want to know? And within your program, within your philosophy, within your way of thinking and programming, maybe also with designing sets, where do you what what do you want to know? And then you can decide what you're gonna use. So there could be heart rate monitors, there could be uh stuff that measures the, the lap times and the stroke rates and the stroke counts, or it could be things with which you write your programs down. So there's there's different options there, and uh, I think each has its value. But yeah, I find it important that before you do anything or before you start anything, that's with everything in coaching is why do you do that and why would you measure that? I love that's that where it always starts. From. I love that question. It's such a it's a, it's an easy one, right? Why? But that's that's my favorite. Yeah just in anything. So, um, all right. So the why, so we've gotten to what, what's, what's your why's at the moment in terms of your program. So we'll just, we'll go specific to what you're doing now. What yeah. are you looking for from your athletes and what technology slash equipment are you using, uh, with your squad at the moment? All right. So I'll circle back a bit. 
because yeah. I'm here again with my uh, with my mentor Martin Trains, uh, with our feet on the desk in Amsterdam talking about swimming. And Martin designed a model for a swimmer. And basically, in that model, there's a couple of different factors, uh, like uh, the aerobic system, the anaerobic system, technique, environmental input. Uh, the mind, the feedback loop for fatigue, all sorts of things. Um, the task itself, very important. We tried, no, we didn't try. We transferred, translated that in uh, variables, parameters that we can measure. A lot of coaches already measure. That gives us a good indication of the swimmer, but also not just of the swimmer itself, but also about which parts of the puzzle might be uh, open for improvement or might be causing the swimmer not to be at his top level. So basically, I have five parameters that I measure on the general uh, recurring scale. That's uh, the swimming speed, so the lap times, which you can measure with a stopwatch. Uh, the stroke rate or the stroke count, that's basically two. So the stroke count the swimmers can measure or you can count it. Same with the stroke rate, you can count that or you can get that on your stopwatch. Uh, the other one is the heart rate. And the final one that I'm working on myself is is the smoothness of the swimming or what we call the jerk cost. The what? Uh, the, the jerk cost. I, I can explain. But, I never say that um, on my podcast again. How dare you? No, no, this is, this is, this is actually, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with that then first. Jerk is the, is the uh, we call it the third derivative of position over time. So basically okay. the first derivative is speed. So you go position or change in position divided by the time in which you do that. It gives you an indication for speed. Yep. If you then have the change in speed, that's acceleration, so it's measured in meters square, meters per second square, sorry. And then we have the jerk. The jerk is how uh, the variation in acceleration over time. Okay. So that's meters per second cubed. Okay. And I use that for my uh, to to get a check on my swimmers as well. Right, so well, I'm glad we, we clarified that. Thank you. Glad glad we clarified. Yeah. That. So it's nothing to do with you. Up, it's you know. a perfectly <laughs> well known physical component yes. of everyday life and there's probably it. somebody out there going how did he how did robbie not know that and sure that's yeah, just exactly. where my brain goes right okay exactly. i apologize i can't help well it. it's just uh jerk is very <laughs> important for example in automatic piloting and yep. in uh, driving automatic cars so the cars that don't not, no longer need a person driving they use jerk to correct a lot of the things okay. but you can also measure that in swimming if you have a lot of variations in speed or accelerations you have a lot of noise on that signal the less noise you have the more smooth you swim yeah the more smooth you swim the less energy it costs that's why it's i think a very important or interesting parameter yeah anyway those are things that you can measure and those are the things that i focus my measurement but to start off with i want to have a connection between what i put in so the input or the program, the, the designed program, and the output. And the output would then be how fast they swim in what stroke rate, what heart rate, 
and uh, how many strokes per lap and with what jerk cost and with how many kicks and with what push off force from the wall, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so for me, the first thing I wanted was um, a good way of recording my training sessions. So that's what I started with. So I've been using commit swimming for a couple of years. Very happy with that. Um, gives you a nice overview of, of where you are, which zone you are training most, um, well, at least which zone you are telling them to be in most. Yeah. Um, and then you can you know, filter all the rules or out all sorts of things. And it's really intuitive software. I'm not trying to sell it to anyone, by the way. But that's uh, yeah. where I started. Yeah, no, well, yeah, actually, I'm glad you said that. So, yeah, just so everyone knows, this isn't some sort of a, a, an infomercial from Sander for, for <laughs> no. the products we're about to talk about. I just think, you know, there's a lot of coaches listening that would be interested, as I said, they're probably sitting there and their programs developed to a point where their athletes are 17, 18 now and they want to introduce a little bit more technology. So um, I always think it's important to go to people who I think um, know a lot more about it. Um, not saying that you're the the you know the professor of it, but you certainly have your head wrapped around things a lot a lot better than I. So yeah, this isn't an infomercial, but yes, yeah, sorry, keep going, mate. Hit me. Right. What else you got? So from there, I uh, I focused on things that uh, are, are relatively affordable, of course, as well. Um, but like I said, I want to have those uh, an uh, an indication of those different brands. So again, that's uh, lap time. Stroke count, stroke rate, heart rate, and preferably jerk cost in the end as well. Um, well, there's different devices on, on the planet that can help doing that. Um, I, I like the, the Verity Sense from Polar for measuring the heart rate. Yep, got mine this um, morning. Yep, yeah, right, awesome. Um, there, there, it is, of course, it's, it's a reflection of light that in the end measures the heart rate, and we know that on land that works relatively well. In water, there are some difficulties with it. So as soon as you get some water in that, you'll see that the signal will disappear. Um, preferably, I would like to have the electrical signal of the heart with a belt. But in water, we find that it's very difficult to do that. Yeah, it's short circuits. That sounds more horrible than it is because we're only talking about millivolts. Yeah. But it's very difficult to get that signal correct. So the Verity sends, I think, at the moment, is a real good option to get an indication of the heart rate. And um, I uh, just got my Triton Wear gear in, um, where indeed we can measure lap time, stroke rate, stroke count. We can do that uh, for a lot of people. So that's my issue with a lot of the things, is that I can measure my guys their lap time and I can measure their stroke rate and I can measure their stroke count but I can't measure 20 or 10 people even continuously if I try to count their strokes I can only count one stroke count per lap but if I have 10 swimmers in my pool how do I know where they are the same with the stroke rate and I also don't want to have my swimmers counting their strokes all the time Um, there's a whole different philosophy on that but I don't like them kind of counting strokes all the time. So I want to have that evolve and well, that's why it's nice to have that track where to measure it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we spoke about this uh, earlier this week as well. What I like then is to see why things are happening like that and get a, an even closer view on things. And 
the problem with a lot of the uh, technical components of swimming is that it's hard to measure because we are in water, we're in an aquatic environment. The thing that we push ourselves off from is moving as well. So we push ourselves forward, but at the same time, we're bringing water into motion. And that complicates measurement. So um, Brent Best, again, that's that name again, he introduced me to a company a couple of months ago when I moved to uh, to New South Wales. Um, that's called EO Sports Lab mm-hmm. or EO Lab. And they have developed an device which I think is very exciting and is something that should be on everyone's radar. That's the EO Swim Better device where we um, get uh, information on what is actually happening on the hands that is pushing against that water. Um, I know how difficult that is. Um, I've done work for my master's thesis in 2007 on um, measuring pressure differences on the hand. And these guys have developed something that now can do that. And uh, that by itself is a mean feat. And combining that with what we call an IMU, which is an inertial inertial measurement unit, which measures accelerations and rotations and stuff like that. So we get a, with that sensor, you get an indication of forces, but also the hard path and the direction of the forces. So that's exciting times. yeah, I think uh, there are lots of opportunities uh, coming up. When I started working on my own sensor, which I did in 2013, there was nothing of the sort. Yeah. So we did have some polos, uh, but we didn't have anything that was able to measure continuously. So there's a there's a whole world now opening for swim coaches, I think, and for swim scientists that will uh, – allow us to study swimming better and make it even faster. So it's exciting. Yeah, no, ab- well, absolutely. And I think um, just interesting to speaking with you and, and how you use uh, your equipment and your technology, and especially with the EO Lab, um, you were talking about just keeping it over shorter distances and getting that data uh, because it's a little bit more accurate. Is that correct? Rather than if you just sort of keep it on them over time, because I know the EO lab, um, you can, it can record up to 15 minutes or 90 minutes. Um, yeah. but as you said it, that you get a lot more uh, variability through, is that right? Well, or- the thing is, the thing is, I don't, the, the measurement itself is, is reliable and won't get any more variability. So it's not the measurement itself, but it's the, 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 the problem is when you do a 90 minutes set, and you would understand this as a coach, and you work for 90 minutes with a swimmer, Yeah. at a, at a certain point, it will be hard to understand or to recollect what happened in that first minute. Yeah. So, yes, there is a is a uh, value of measuring for 90 minutes with that system. But before you do that, I think it's really nice to get down into the core of that stroke and find out what's really happening with that, which you can now do. And then you can tweak, so you can record, look at it, know exactly what's in the mind, and then you have a sort of direct feedback loop, get the swimmer out, watch what's happening, maybe combine it with the video data, and then improve on that. So basically, you give them, I don't know, 
a set or a certain amount of time or whatever you think in your coaching brain is right, you let the swimmer do that. And then you can see immediately what the effect of that was. And that's a very powerful tool. And we work already like that with video analysis. It's the same with video analysis. Who watches? Well, not right now. Yeah. But I don't watch 90 minutes of my swimmers going back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watch that specific targeted point. And um, yeah, the EO sensor gives, the EO device gives that heightened look, that more in-depth look of what is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. that's, uh, like I said, I think it's very, very exciting. Yeah, and it's, I, I think the other thing too is because you, you hear a lot of people um, that are really for technology in swimming. You hear people that will just say, oh, you know, what do I need that for? I can see it and you can – it's a piece of the puzzle though, right? It's not the whole puzzle. It's not going to solve all your issues. You're not going to get it and all of a sudden you swim as a, a national medalist just because you've, you've got these um, brilliant pieces of equipment. But it just adds little pieces to the story and, and tools for your toolbox, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for me it does. But I also, you know, I'm I'm writing my thesis at the moment, and one of the key things that I find is that yes, we have the technology, and yes, it does provide, in my opinion, it provides an extra piece of the puzzle, and yeah. very interesting to do so. And I would definitely advise everyone to do so. Uh, and, and get more knowledge about it as well, because just getting the knowledge about how the things work and why they work will help you in understanding swimming better. We do have to realize that very important part of the puzzle, most maybe the most important part of the puzzle is that swimmer-coach connection. Yeah. But a relationship between swimmer and coach. Um, there's a couple of really interesting articles from this lady, uh, and, and, and she writes about that. And I, I fully agree with her. Um, in the end, you, you, I think it's you have to have that connection. You have to believe. Both of you have to believe that in that in that moment in time, if you're talking about the highest performing athletes, that you're doing what's right for that athlete. And the thing is, you don't have a guidance. You don't have a a, a road book or an, a strict set of rules that you have to follow, and you get high performance. So it's something that you have developed with that. And it's you and that athlete working together to define that book for that athlete. And I think that is the real key for success. Whatever you put in there, you put in. But we've seen success from all over the world. And trust me, what they are doing in Australia, they're not doing in the US. And what they're doing in the US, they're not doing in Germany or in the Netherlands or in England. They're doing everything. Everyone is doing a little bit different. We do that because we are different. So we can't. I can't sell the same vegetables as you can. Yeah. You sell, I don't know, but what do you have in it? Lettuce, and I sell broccoli. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's both vegetables, but we do sell. We we do sell them in a different way. So, but still, we see from everywhere in the world there are these successful programs. And what you see in those programs is, I think there's one thing that we both, of course, we swim. <laughs> um, I think most people now understand that we also do have to do some stuff on land, but also there is so many, so much variation. I think the one key thing 
is that we all believe that what we're doing is absolutely the best we can do at this moment in time. And there is no doubt in our minds that we should be doing something else. I think that conviction is very important. That has to do with the swimmer-coach relationships, which is, I think, uh, one of the main things that we need to focus on. If that's not right, then you won't get out of the swimmer, out of your role, uh, what you can get out of it. Yeah, the data also with the stuff that you're trying to get is not going to be as accurate as because you you know the trusting in the in the coach swimmer relationship and and all that sort of stuff. So I'm glad you. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm glad you um, you clarified that, mate. And I want to have a look. Obviously, as I said, I'm looking at that clock because I know you're on pickup duty as well today. Yes. Um, so uh, just quickly, because I know a lot of coaches listen to the podcasts for sets and different ideas in terms of um, speed sets, aerobic sets, anaerobic sets, combining skills with speed, all this sort of stuff. Um I want to start with speed, obviously, and you did a really good talk on on training speed at the New South Wales uh, ASCA conference. In terms of your some of your favourite speed sets, do you have a few go-to favourite speed sets? Well, I I was uh, indeed at that conference and I had a good chat with Ken from uh, Warringah Swimming Club. Uh, he's a great coach himself, I reckon, and I went to visit his program, and then after that, they did the Enter Sanderman <laughs> set. <laughs> but that's one of the things that I talked about on the uh, presentation that you yeah. were referring to. It's very simple. It can be any distance, basically, but the sole purpose of that set is getting better and without too much feedback of the coach. So you do something like uh, question mark times 15 or twist question mark times 25 from a push or from a dive. And it it's very simple. Get better, get better, get better. And as soon as you're not getting better, you're, you're the set is finished and that's fine. So it could be that you're only doing three times 25 or three times 15, plenty of rest, but you're really focusing and putting it down to the, to the main focus of training. It's, it's getting better. But yeah. we're very often not focusing on getting better. We're focusing on something else. So I let them start slow and then get better. And sometimes people make an error, which is fine. The set is done. And that's there's no wrong or right. You learn from it. So it's fine. But by doing the set like that and making it go faster and faster and faster and faster again, you're really focusing on, on, on small details like your breakout. What can I change? And it's also the swimmer evaluation and reflection of what he or she just did. Mm. Um, how can I make that better? Was my finish all right? Well, my finish could have been better. So next one, I'll focus better on the finish and do the finish better. And if I do that, I'll learn immediately. So I like that as a sprint set or as a speed set a lot. You're not getting a high mileage in or high volume. But that's all right because you're focusing on getting better yeah yeah um other speed sets that i like are more circuit wise so um i did one when was it wednesday morning where we uh did 10 strokes against a rack uh then a little run some dives with a some some jumps with a somersault into a turn which i call a triple turn which is a dive from the jump from the tee into the wall 
and push off, do a turn, and then back into the wall, do a turn again, all as fast as you can. Jump out, do a couple of push-ups, jump back in and sprint towards the wall. So it's all little building blocks. So you only go through it once or twice or maybe three times. Um, and it's all little building blocks of singled out events of the swimming part. So turn, focus on the turn, getting some extra drag, well, propulsion in the beginning. Um, I like stuff like that. So I believe speed is very important for swimmers, yeah. Mm. We've, um, we've been doing that turn one um, recently in training, especially with their juniors, just trying to get their feet over and get on the wall yeah. faster and get things faster. So I, I enjoy doing that. I, I can attest to it for the people listening. I saw Sander do that and I've been implementing that and it's working really well. Um, yeah. Now, be. obviously, I don't want to keep <clears throat> just talking about speed. This is a balance, right? And you talked about it earlier with um, technically getting things right over um, – not a high volume doesn't have to be a high volume, but it's certainly having that balance between a speed and an aerobic capacity. Now yeah. we, we've, we've just, I, I guess um, the, the hot buzz at the moment is we've got Cam McAvoy going 21. Oh, and we've got people coming out saying, see, you don't have to train aerobic to go faster. You don't have to do these things to go faster. You just have to swim fast and do a three sessions a week or four sessions a week. And, there's no doubt there's some truth to a lot of that, but there's no doubt I think sometimes the truth somewhere lies in the middle where you've got to be doing a little bit of aerobic swimming with good technique too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's garbage yeah. yardage or just thrashing them up and down the pool and it certainly yeah. doesn't have to be as aerobic as, as a middle distance or a distance swimmer. So, again, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. Don't come at me. I'm just saying I think there's a little bit more to the – to the story for you with aerobic capacity training. And if you were training a, a sprinter, a 50 meter, hundred meter genuine sprinter for your aerobic sort of capacity sets and training, how, how do you look at it? And I mean, you can tell me, am I wrong? Is there still that balance? Do you still have to add a little bit of that um, aerobic, I guess, capacity training, or you don't need it anymore. If you're just going 50 meter max, that's it. Um, the thing is, the, the question I think there is, is a, is a terminology as well and a definition. What is aerobic capacity? And um, I, I'm very much at the Dutch school or maybe the Belgium school. So I worked a lot with Jan Olbrecht. Um, and again, Martin is a, is a physiologist uh, in himself as well. Um, we've, what I believe is that everything under, uh, there is every meter that you swim is important. So every meter that you do has an effect. And even when you're doing only, only 15 K a week, you're not going 15 K a week all out. I do not believe that. So there are parts in that session where they will loosen up. They will do some easy kick or easy swim. And that's in my opinion, all aerobic capacity. So I believe that there has to be a, a certain part of that. So to keep all the energy systems working in the right way. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there's variations there. There is no, I don't think there is like a clear answer to that question. I've worked work very much, especially for my sprinters with a, with a polarized training way of training. 
So basically 80% of the total work that I do with them is slower aerobic work. I'm not doing 10K sessions with them by no means. But yes, there are some 4K sessions and some 5K sessions every now and then with them as well. Um, but there are also sessions where they go really, really fast. Um, and then sometimes just over 15 meters or 10 seconds or sometimes even over just five seconds but really fast. So I work with, with about a 20 to 80% ratio there for 20% real speed work to 80% um, aerobic capacity work, slower stuff. I'm not really doing a lot of threshold with my, with my sprinter boys. So not the, what would you say, getting the heart rate up as high as possible for an extended period of time. I don't really do that stuff. Yeah. I get there with my middle distance and my distance swimmers. But I always set a task to have them do that with a certain stroke count or with a certain repetition of time, something like that. Yeah, nice. Um, do you have a, an aerobic set for your sprinters that you do a go-to? Or is it just... My, my, I've, I, I've never copied a set. So there's no one set that I do. Um, what I like to do is I like to play with variations and make sure that swimmers have to adapt all the time for the adaptive sets or adaptive coaching um what i do uh what i did for example with that german guy quite a lot was swimming with parachutes or swimming against the rack or swimming resisted and usually i then do for three reps of 10 seconds resisted pretty fast so that's in an aerobic set doing three to 10 rep, seconds reps pretty fast, after which we do five times 100, A1 staying in the green zone, heart rate. I don't know, my A1 is a bit different than the Australian one, by the way. So that's about 70% of the max heart rate, I would say, 65 to 70% of the max heart rate. So nothing too strenuous, but... That's why I know how I do my aerobic sets. So I set them up technically very well and make them keep that technique um, in in the aerobic set. Yeah. No, I like it. I like it. I like parachutes too. They're, they're good fun. Um, as I said, obviously. We, Especially we, for the coach. Yeah, 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 exactly. The wind comes up and all of a sudden yeah, away exactly. they go. Um, yeah. Yeah, I want to get you on for another chat because me and you can talk forever and there's lots of different things that I want to pick your brain about. But I want to finish today's chat with some stuff away from swimming, mate, just to get to know Sander away from the pool. I was fortunate enough to have a few drinks with you following that conference. <laughs> and yeah. and I, I really, you know, for me, a lot of the times when I get to know coaches, those are the moments. It doesn't have to be over a beer. It can be over a coffee or whatever, but just getting to know people behind the scenes. I love it. So um, I know, as I said, you're time conscious, so try and hit me with some quick answers. What's your favourite music to listen to? Uh, hardcore punk. Oh, there you go. I wouldn't have picked that. Uh, favourite movies? You've got any favourite movies? Um, I always tend to go to Platoon and uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, classic, classic. What about books? Are you a, are you a reader? Do you like yes. sort of biographies? Do you like, um, you know? What, what, Fancy. What? Fancy. Love at the moment reading The Dark Tower of Stephen King. So I love that stuff. Ah, see, that's interesting too because it doesn't really – okay. No, I like it. Well, keep it going. What's your biggest fear? Do you have a fear? Uh, I think my fear would be not having an impact on other people. Oh, 
<laughs> Look at you go. Um, favorite meal? What do you like to eat? Everything my wife cooks, but especially <laughs> slip sandwiches. Uh, that's uh, flounders um, that we used to get on the island in the Netherlands um, from the fishing boats that are all there, and I love yeah. that. That like flat fish, and I love that. Oh, so you would have liked food up in Cairns too. There would have been a bit, a lot of seafood and stuff up. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Food in Cairns, you know, barramundi, barra is pretty good as well. I like a lot. I like a barra. Yeah. Um, you gave me a quote before. Do you have another favorite quote? Um, I got a couple. <laughs> um, yeah, you had Pippi Longstocking, but um, I uh, this is again a bit of hardcore punk, but uh, this is it by a band called uh, the Bad Brains. Uh, PMA, positive mental attitude. That's what I like. I like it. Um, if you were stuck in a lift for a long, long period of time, what three people anywhere and, and in history as well, you can pick anyone, what three oh, yeah. people would you take in the lift with you to spend the oh, time? That's easy, my wife and my kids. Oh, look at you go. Come yeah, simple. I, I would like to have chats with other people, you know. Yeah, with, well, I was I, I'd say. Like, I, I'd love to have a chat with uh, with some, uh, especially some some Roman philo- Roman and Greek philosophers, the Stoics, yeah. uh, Cicero, and people like that. I wouldn't be able to understand them, but I would <laughs> love to speak with them. Um, uh, Eddie Reese is someone that I would love to like to talk to, um, and there's so many people. And, yeah, yeah, you got to remember. I mean, people. it's nice to say your family, but just remember, you do get to get out of there. You're not stuck forever. And I'm just yeah. thinking, me, my wife, and my daughter in a lift for a long period of time. I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe I you guys that. have got a great connection, but I, we yeah. would be start be fighting. There'd be swearing. That's from my four year old. She'll be into me. No, pretty relaxed, <laughs> chill out, control the controllables, sit down, have a chat. Beautiful. They got that Portuguese blood, right? So they're just a bit more fiery. They're just. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They would be. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'll stop. Yeah. Actually, no, I don't. She don't listen to my podcast. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> the last one I want to go with, mate. Best piece of advice you've been given. Best piece of advice. Yeah, I, I think control the controllables is a real good one. Um, in everything in life, you'll get things that you can't control, and you, I, I would not worry about them. Worry about the things that you can control, and then, uh, you'll have a better, much more enjoyable life. I reckon. I absolutely love it, mate. Now, thank you very much for coming on. Um, obviously, as I said, you're doing great stuff up there in Newcastle and, and helping New South Wales swimming with all the performance hubs and all the different head coaches and um, that are working towards the same goals for New South Wales in the future and, and helping us progress. Um, you know, I've, I've long said, and I spent some time up in Queensland and I, I know, you know, how great it is up there as well, but there are some great minds and some great coaches and some fantastic athletes here in New South Wales as well. Um, I'm really excited, um, that you're down here, mate, helping us in terms of progressing. And this isn't me blowing smoke up your backside. <laughs> I genuinely <laughs> am. Um, I can't Thanks, wait mate. to come up and, and visit the program as well and, and, and see your athletes and see what you've got yeah, going on. You're up more there. than welcome. Thank you very much for spending time with us today. And thanks for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you, as always, by Pro Swim Workouts. Nico and the team at Pro Swim Workouts have been supporters of the podcast from day one and continue to support the show and the coaching community more broadly with their platform, 
proswimworkouts.com. Head over to the website right now and become a member to receive all the exclusive content, whether it's programming in and out of the water, thought-provoking articles, or even just sharing of ideas. It is a one-stop shop. And for all those just looking to browse, head over to proswimworkouts.com to find free workouts, podcast tips, jobs available, and so much more. So what are you waiting for? I'll say it one more time. Head over to proswimworkouts.com right now and let Nico know that Off The Block sent you.